Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. <sighs> Mother Mia, I don't know if I can do these late games anymore, guys. I don't know if I can pull any more of these off. I mean, it makes it, makes it a little bit more doable when the Jets grab the W, which they did easy peasy for Zip in Vancouver which is officially my least favorite city in Canada now. But I was pulling out all the tricks to stay awake. My newest one is that I just ate spoonfuls of horseradish out of the jar to keep my eyes alert, and it actually worked not half bad. So, I mean, there's that if you want to try and uh, grab a trick to stay alert and awake for Wednesday night. But don't say I don't love you guys because I'm recording this at midnight. Not ideal for my sleep schedule, but we'll find a way to make it work. Anyways, enough about me complaining. We'll get to a breakdown of Jets Canucks in just a sec. Also in the episode, we're going to go back to Saturday night. A tough one for the Jets in Edmonton. The first time all season they've lost back-to-back in regulation. We'll look at what went wrong in the third period. The latest on Ekholm in the trade deadline as well. And some talk on the season and division structure. Just a little chat on if you guys like that, if you want to see that maintained for next season. I think over the last couple of weeks, I've had my mind made up on on where I'm going with that. We'll get to all of that in today's episode. But we got to start with the most recent thing just a couple hours ago. The Jets and the Skid, the mini Skid, avoid three straight L's. And they beat the shorthanded Vancouver Canucks. I mean, the game itself was nothing to really write home about. It wasn't one for the memory books. But the Jets did what they had to do in that situation. You're facing a depleted team without their best player. And without Brandon Sutter as well. Which I think some Canucks fans might say that actually helped us in in that one. But either way, you're down two centermen. And the Jets desperately needed a win after dropping two in a row against the Edmonton Oilers. Didn't want this to turn into something that could spiral completely out of control. So a, a big win in that regard. And you push the Canucks further away. I mean, I don't think Winnipeg has to worry about Vancouver too much when it comes to a potential playoff spot. Even though they're fifth in the division right now. But the start was, I think, exactly what you wanted coming off that loss Saturday in Edmonton. Because you get Blake Wheeler on the score sheet 
And I, I don't know if Shifley-Ann or Stasny picked up a point on that one. It was kind of iffy. But, you know, just just to have those guys on the ice to kick off the action, that was a big one. And I, I, I like what Adam Lowry said after the game where, you know, scoring a goal like that early on just kind of helped calm everybody down a little bit. And then you're, I, you know, you're not on edge. You're not a little bit antsy. You just let the game come to you at that point, right? And it felt like the Jets did get pretty comfortable from that moment on and moving forward. There were some pockets here and there, sure, where Vancouver made Winnipeg look a little silly in their own end. But I think that's kind of par for the course for this team right now. It just comes with the territory. And they did hit a couple posts as well. You know, Vancouver probably a little unfortunate not to at least get on the score sheet once. But outside of that, I thought the Jets played pretty solid. wasn't anywhere near their best game of the season. But to their credit, too, Thatcher Demko was outstanding in the first period. And if not for him, the Jets are probably staring at a 3-0 lead. And it might be game over before you even get into the final 40. But, yeah, all in all, I, I just thought of a pretty a pretty damn good effort. Just, just solid. B-plus all around. Now, it's funny because after 40 minutes, it's just one nothing Winnipeg. The game is still hanging in the balance. But I wrote down in my in my notes just somebody that had popped off the page in the game the past couple weeks. I mean, he's been great all season long, but just it's something that stood out to me over the last little while. And I was wondering if I should tweet out or mention that, hey, you know, this guy's looked pretty good. Maybe we should bump him up the lineup a little bit to... Help shake things up up front after a couple straight losses. And then the third line as a whole just goes out there in the third period and ices the game for Winnipeg. But it, it was Mason Appleton that actually uh, has stood out to me over the last little while. And boy, what a find he's been, hasn't he? I mean, another fifth-round pick th- that the Jets seem to have struck gold with. He really jumps off the page. And I think skill-wise, he's still a little bit underrated in these parts. But I, I wrote, I had written that down. Rich wrote, "It's midnight. Just give me a break. I'm trying, I'm trying to just sound somewhat legible here." But I had it down in my notes, and then Adam Lowry kind of came through and and really jumped off the page in that final period. But the third line as a whole, I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot more you could have asked for them so far as we as we get into the second half of the season. Defensively, there there really weren't too many questions defensively. What you know, if it is going to be Lowry and Cop moving forward together on a line, no concerns there. I don't think, you know, even their most staunchest critics would say, yeah, that's going to be something we have to look out for. It was pretty much mainly offensive production. But they've answered that bell in a big, big way, a huge way. And yeah, Cop's production in particular has tailed off a little bit after a really, really hot start. But having said that, all three of them are basically hovering around a half point a game right now. All three of Cop, Lowry, and Appleton are pacing out for 40 points over a normal 82-game season, which is remarkable for, for pretty much any third line in the NHL, let alone one in Winnipeg that has struggled to produce for at least a couple of seasons now. And as great as Appleton has been all season long, and he's played a huge part in it, don't get me wrong, it's pretty clear that Adam Lowry is the one driving the bus on that third line right now. I, I've just been so impressed with this game. Com- completely whiffed on where he is at this stage in his career. I really wondered if we had seen the best of Adam Lowry. And clearly we haven't because, to me, this is the best he's looked in his NHL career. 
I mean, you can go back to that first initial playoff run way, way back against Anaheim when he was arguably their best player. A lot of people said he jumped off the page then. No, nah, this is this is peak Adam Lowry right now. And it's it's fun to watch. I mean, he is an impactful player when he's out there on the ice. And, you know, I think we're seeing this across the league on every team where there's one or two guys that are having these mini sort of revivals or, or renaissance, renaissance eye, if you will. And I really think that all this extended time off, you know, with the pandemic and then the the shortened season that's going on here, you know, a lot of guys had some time to either get surgeries or allow themselves to heal and let their bodies rest up a little bit. And I think Adam Lowry is the one on Winnipeg that's really benefited from that the most. I mean, he's moving way better. He, I, this is the fastest I've seen him, no doubt about it, in a Jets jersey. I mean, he's moving great out there. The physical game is is still there. And, you know, it's funny. I was going to say the hands are working. I mean, that, that first goal, it's a classic case of, you know, people will say it's, you know, they don't ask how, it's how many. It's an ugly-ass goal at the moment. A ton of luck goes into it. But come negotiating time at the end of the season, that goal's looking pretty sexy, right? That that one's that one's wearing a two-piece bikini. That goal is going to play a big part in Adam Lowry potentially having himself a nice payday. And it's funny that I, I kind of went there in my head, and I haven't really thought about this all season long. But decision time is coming sooner than later on this. And that's, what is Adam Lowry's next contract going to look like? Let's just push Seattle and the Kraken and the expansion issues aside for a second. I wonder what Adam Lowry's going to get on his, you know, maybe his, at, at 27, 28 years old, his last big chance at getting a pretty decent sized payday. So let me throw this question at you guys, and, and let me know on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki or at Skates Plates Pod, either one or both, hit me up. What contract would you be willing to give Adam Lowry? What's kind of the max you would go year and cap it to keep Adam Lowry in Winnipeg for the next several seasons? Let's just assume for a second that maybe wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Adam Lowry and his agent have a little bit of a, an agreement with Kevin Sheveldayoff that we won't sign a deal, so I can't be exposed for the expansion draft. You keep Cop and Appleton on top of it, and I'll sign it a couple days after that. We can keep the band together, and away we go. Let's just assume for a second that's the scenario that's facing the Winnipeg Jets. Now, I tried to dive in and find a comparable for Adam Lowry, and I think I found a pretty good one. I'll let you guys know who that is in just a second. But when you look at Adam Lowry as a whole, you know, he does provide and, and give this team a unique set of abilities, kind of like Liam Neeson and Taken, right? Like, he does things that very few guys on this team can do. Tons of skill, a lot of speed. But not that gritty, nasty element that I think is still important. I mean, he's really strong defensively. I said last week that, you know, defending the lead, that's the guy on the Winnipeg Jets that I want out there, making sure that they don't blow another late one with the other team's goalie pulled. Adam Lowry is the guy I want out there. There is a ton of value 
and what he brings to this team. And I can guarantee and, I mean, know for a fact that there's a number of clubs out there that, if given the opportunity, and I'm not just talking the Seattle Kraken, would sign Adam Lowry to a long-term deal and would probably put an A on his chest to go along with that contract. So I do wonder if there's going to be any kind of discount in the cards for the Winnipeg Jets here. And, and maybe there is. Hey, maybe Lowry just loves it here. He's been with the organization. They gave him a chance as a, as a third-round pick. Maybe he helps the team out a little bit in that regard. But there's no doubt that if he gets closer to free agency and wants to test the waters, yeah, there's going to be a number of teams, maybe maybe close to 10 teams, that would take a serious run at signing Adam Lowry. So I wonder is, because for me, when you get to third liners, I don't love going four, five, obviously six years, right? Like I would love to keep an Adam Lowry deal. I guess in my dream world, it would be three years, three mil per season. That's that's my dream deal for Adam Lowry. And and something that I think could the, the Jets could fit into the cap going into next season. He's making just a shade under three million right now. So it's the tiniest of raises, but there is also not going to be a raise on the salary cap, flat cap for a couple seasons at least. Maybe that's something that Adam Lowry would be okay with. That's my dream scenario. I'm not necessarily convinced that's an option for the Winnipeg Jets. I also think a lot of people would take that if that was given to them. The one name that I found that provides a bit of a template here and there's no, look, there's no doubt Adam Lowry's agent is going to go with this one as opposed to the 3x3 three three that I just mentioned. But Radic Fox out there in Dallas, I thought of him because, you know, big center. We, we saw the stars in their playoff run and, and how impactful he was until I believe he suffered an injury in the cup final. But he plays a similar game to Adam Lowry, another big dude. It's actually kind of eerie when you take into account production, playing style, age, all that into consideration, they're very, very similar. And Faxa signed a pretty juicy contract this past offseason. So let's take a look and we can see if a Radic Faxa-esque contract would be something Jets fans would be okay with if that's what was handed to Adam Lowry. So Faxa, center, same age, 27 years old, 6'3", 220, so pretty much the same sort of build that we're looking at. And over the past couple of seasons, Fax has been right around the 30-point mark, either right at 30 or a little bit above that. Adam Lowry, very, very similar production. 29 points in 82 games, four or five seasons ago it looks like. 21 and 45, so that's into that 30 range. Coming back to earth a little bit over the past two seasons, but this year, on pace for, I mean, he's on pace for 30 points. And that's only in the 56-game season on pace for basically 40-42 and a regular 82-game schedule. So you might give the slightest bit of edges to Foxa in terms of offensive production, but they're still very similar. Now, you might be asking the big question here, and that's, what's Rad and Foxa making? It's a little bit pricey, and I don't think... I, I do wonder how many Jets fans would be okay with this. But in October 2020, Fox assigned a five-year deal with the Dallas Stars, $3.25 per season. 
So basically taking him into his 32-33 age season. That's a little long for me. I, that's kind of the main thing. Five years. Oh, man, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to, especially with some of the injury concerns Lowry's had. Like, I know he has a bit of a bad back, or he did one season at least. And he just, he plays such a heavy, hard physical game. There has to be concerns about, you know, the longevity and, and how long he's going to be able to keep that pace up. So I don't think I could go to five years. I'm probably, again, I said three years earlier, four years is definitely going to be my max on an Adam Lowry deal. Then you have the 3.25 that Fox is making. So a little bit better offensive production. They're both really good defensively. And Fox at the time too, I mean, the Stars are coming off that run to the Stanley Cup. Fox was really, really good for them in that. So maybe that bumps it up a little bit. So four years... 3.25, that's, I mean, for me, that's the max that I'm going. I don't know if I feel overly comfortable at at even 3.25, although you're you're, you're splitting hairs at that point. But I'm probably capping everything off four years, three, and a little bit million. Four years, three million, I, I could live with that. I wouldn't be super happy with it, but I could live with that contract. So let me know on Twitter again. I want to know where you guys are in a potential Adam Lowry deal to keep him in Winnipeg. I'll get to all your responses for Friday's episode. And look, I failed stats class a couple times in university, but we'll try to get a bit of a an average at all your proposals, and we'll see if we can get a sense of what that next contract might look like for Adam Lowry. We'll have a little bit of fun with that one. I guess, anyways, that's my long-winded version way of saying Adam Lowry played a good game last night, <laughs> and he's having a hell of a season so far. Huge for the Jets. Now, one last thing I do want to mention, super cool from the Canucks game before we take a look back at the weekend that was for the Winnipeg Jets. How awesome is that Paul Stastny stat where plays the same amount of games as his old man and then he finds a way to score late, a bit of a, a meaningless goal. The game was already out of reach, but that's super cool, right? Like to, to tie your legendary Hall of Fame pappy and the amount of games played. And he had a great line too where... You know, it's pretty much the only stat I can top him with because he put up so many points when he played in the 80s with the Nordiques and whatnot. But that's just super neat. I thought that was cool. And as as president of the Paul Stasny fan club, just a nice little moment for him and, and the family. That's super cool for the family, too, to watch him pull that one off. So awesome stuff. Now, on a much less heartwarming note, let's get to that game Saturday night. Jets-Oilers. Third period lead blown for the club, not in heartbreaky late fashion, but nonetheless, up one, Edmonton storms back to score a bunch unanswered, earning a 4-2 victory. There was a couple plays that stood out to me, kind of pissed me off a little bit. I'm sure it did for you too. But first, basketball has officially entered the second half of their season as well. It's the time for teams to prove Are you a contender or a pretender? And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is giving new players, once again, that famous favorite word here in Manitoba, a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes. Get in the action now to claim your free shot at millions in total prizes when you use code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is super simple, just like hockey, Pick your lineup, stay under the cap, 
and see how your team stacks up against the competition worldwide. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist. It all means so much more. A little more stakes on the line when you do it with a DraftKings Daily Fantasy lineup. I know a lot of people are in on the Brooklyn Nets to go all the way. I still like the 76ers out of the East. Doesn't look like the Raptors have this one as their season. But I do wonder if maybe Kyle Lowry makes his way over to Philly. Bit of a homecoming for him there and the Sixers can make a run to the title. But with DraftKings, payday comes every day for players. So really, what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Again, that's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Oilers Jets Saturday night. Let's get to it here. I mean, the, the really crappy part of it is this. If Kyle Connor finds a way to score on a horrendous Mike Smith play behind the net, if Dylan DeMello can just backhand one almost anywhere other than Mike Smith's pad on, again, an open net, you know, maybe this conversation, probably this conversation is completely different here. And we're talking about a, a gutsy well-earned win for the Winnipeg Jets as they look to make their playoff push. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And then the third period happens, and Edmonton takes over. And, I mean, really, again, shocker, Connor McDavid takes over, and Winnipeg has no answer for it. And look, we can get into, and I know some people on Twitter were saying Mark Shifley and, and that line got owned again by Connor McDavid, but do we maybe not need to have an exception when it comes to Connor McDavid specifically this year and get it on somebody defensively? Because what do you want Mark Shifley to do in that situation? Right, like Go back to the first period in that goal where McDavid's flying all over the ice in the offensive zone. What should he do? Right? Like what what is he what is he and what is anybody supposed to do? Like I'm I'm kinda I, I do get a bit of a kick out of people really and it's not just Shifley, but anybody, when McDavid goes on on one of his out of this world offensive rushes and people are like, Well, how can you let that happen? He's faster than everybody else on the ice. His hands, his feet, everything moves quicker than anybody in the planet right now. So I'm going to cut these guys a bit of a slack when it comes to some of these McDavid plays. And, and again, two, I think it was just two points for him in that one. That, that almost seems like a good night defending Carter McDavid nowadays. That's not necessarily what ticked me off with what the Jets did defensively. We got to go to the game winner. A dry saddle one-timer off Connor McDavid. It, it's not even that part of the play that got me a little bit upset. And we'll just rewind backwards and, and do a bit of a breakdown on the play. But the reason it stood out to me is that Edmonton has exploited something that the Winnipeg Jets do consistently. Maybe more so than, than any team out there. But Edmonton has gone after this before in this season series with the team. And they've gotten multiple two-on-ones, multiple odd-man rushes, and even a couple breakaways out of it as well. But the Winnipeg Jets, in the neutral zone, 
love to have one of their defensemen, the defenseman that is strong side, wherever the puck's going, to make a pinch on the player that's receiving the puck there. It's an aggressive play. I, I don't necessarily dislike it in nature. I, I Hey, I'm always for aggression, defensive or offensive, all game long in hockey. Don't get me wrong. But I do think that you have to pick your spots as a defenseman. I mean, that's step number one for me. And in a tie game against a division rival, 10 minutes to go with Connor McDavid on the ice, to me, that's the time to play a little more passive. I don't want to make a risk and jump on a guy that could potentially then spring McDavid and or Dreisaitl in that situation. I'll take my chances on a three-on-two. If that's what it comes to, I will give up a little bit of gap to make sure McDavid doesn't come screaming into the offensive zone with the puck. It, it's decisions like that that I think have cost this team time and time again when it comes to either protecting leads, getting games into overtime. You know, a bunch of the things that we've seen the Jets struggle with over the years, it's, I think, in game decisions like that that have plagued them, and it's something that if you can just eliminate it or minimize it, they'll be in a better position moving forward. Now, Dylan DeMello is the guy that makes the pinch on that play. I am. This isn't a anti-Dylan DeMello rant here because, to his credit, he's just doing what the coaches ask him to do, right? If, if your coaches want you to play aggressive on the on the guy that gets the puck on the first pass in the neutral zone, then that's what you're going to do. And you're going to follow that pretty much to a T. So it's on Paul Maurice there to alter the way that his team plays in certain situations. And I think this is the time to do that. One, like I said earlier, Connor McDavid's on the ice. Hey, if you want to pinch on McDavid himself as he's receiving the pass... I'm, I'm okay with that, but not when he's starting to gain speed and they're going to do a little bit of a redirection and away he goes to the races, right? Like there, there has to be a little bit more nuance that's going on there. On top of it, Dave Tippett is a hell of a coach himself. He has exploited that numerous times this season. And I would think that with the amount of video that Paul Maurice watches, they would be able to pinpoint that and change the way that they play in certain situations. So that's what was most frustrating to me is that Dave Tippett recognized something that he could go after time and time again, and the Winnipeg Jets failed to make any big-time alterations to that. We'll see if that changes as the season moves along. No doubt about it, it has to change somewhat come postseason time when, whether it's Dave Tippett or, or any other coach here, they're going to go after certain things like that and it's up to Paul Maurice and the coaching staff to put the team in the best possible position to succeed. Now, Morsi DeMello on the ice for that one. They were on the ice for a bunch of goals against and, and maybe partly to blame for some of those in that Saturday night loss to the Oilers. Split up in that game against the Vancouver Canucks. Paul Maurice said it was you know purely a Canucks matchup thing, whatever that means. I, I don't necessarily buy that. But it was back to Morrissey-Pullman. I thought they were okay. I thought they were fine. Again, it's not Tucker Pullman's fault. He's being asked to play top pair duties when he's realistically a, a good 5-6 defenseman. But I wonder if people are starting to get a little more antsy or maybe would resign themselves to the fact that taking the plunge, 
giving up the assets to get Matthias Ekholm is the move to make for this team. It's it's the only way they're going to go far in the postseason. I wonder how many people feel more strongly about that now after the past few weeks because there's no doubt about it, Josh Morrissey has become the most talked about Winnipeg Jet, unfortunately, in a negative sense. You know, since the start of the season, we had the whole, you know, Blake Wheeler minus eight fantasy, fancy stats, hogwash crap, all that sort of a thing. People have just been on him. And, and they're not necessarily wrong in doing so. I would say that my feelings on this have been strengthened. And, and I was all in on the brain at home to Winnipeg train a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to change my stance whatsoever. Ekholm would immediately be the Winnipeg Jets' best defenseman. It sounds like the asking price isn't exorbitant. You're not giving up a Hainala, a Sandberg, a Perfetti. You're not giving up a roster player either by the sounds of it. You're losing a first-round pick, which which does suck. But we've seen how well this team is drafted that, you know what, if that's the price to pay, that's the price to pay and you deal with it. And on top of it, I actually like the fact that Ekholm has another year left on his contract. I would rather pay up for somebody like that than a pure rental. I know people have been really, really high on David Savard out of Columbus, who, hey, he's a good player, don't get me wrong. But to to me, that's not the way to go here. It's time to win now if you're the Winnipeg Jets. And that window is, you really wonder how long it's going to be open for with Wheeler's age. I mean, Stastny's a UFA who knows if he's going to be back next year. Hellebuck and Shifley's contracts, all that. Like there's there's a bit of a an interesting window that the team finds itself in right now. And I like that, hey, we'll give up something, but we're getting two playoff runs out of Matthias Ekholm. And I'm also not really all that worried about the expansion draft. To me, it's it's simple. You protect Morrissey, Ekholm, Neil Pionk, and Dylan DeMello was up for grabs. I mean, he's with the way the coaching staff is using him right now, he's they view him as a third-pair defenseman. If Eckholm came in, he would be a third-pair defenseman. You're kind of okay with losing that $3 million cap hit if that's the case then. And and not only that, but the Eckholm deal also gives you a bit of a chance to see what Josh Morrissey has. If you can get him back to the player that he was a couple of seasons ago. And then you can kind of make a judgment on Josh Morrissey himself. Because if he's not performing up to snuff with Eckholm there, then... You do wonder, is Josh Morrissey ever going to be worth that $6 million cap hit? So, I mean, when you take all those into consideration, it's a no-brainer for me. You get Ekholm in here, and you take a run at what is a, no doubt about it, winnable North Division. I'm not saying the Jets are the best team in the division. And I <laughs> look, I would probably rate it Toronto number one still. Edmonton-Winnipeg is a bit of a toss-up for me. So it's not like you make the trade and... You're the clear-cut number one team in the division. But as we saw against the Leafs, the Jets can beat them. Jets-Oilers has been tight all season long. Even with McDavid, the Jets could beat them in a series. And you come out of the North Division, you're in the Final Four, and hey, it's basically anybody's game at that point in a season that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So I'm all for it. I've been strengthened in my resolve to go after Ekholm. And I think we're going to get some resolution on this sooner than later, to be honest. And I've said this before, but I can't imagine Kevin Chevalier waits until the trade deadline in April. I think he makes his move, and I think he does it pretty soon here. So 
buckle up here. Things are about to get real, real interesting on the trade front. It does sound, too, that I think it was Aaron Port's line of The Athletic out there in Columbus. does sound like David Savard is maybe off the market for the time being. Now that the Blue Jackets are back in the playoff mix, they probably want to keep him for their own playoff push right now. So that's something to keep an eye on. And if that's the case, I mean, it, it, it again, to me, highlights how much you need to go after Matthias Ekholm because if you don't get him, there's not really a whole lot left to fall back on if you're Kevin Chevalier in your search to add some blue line help for the rest of the season and the playoffs as well. One last thing I want to get to here before we call it quits on the episode. We're into the halfway point. I think every team in the NHL is playing at least 28 games right now. How do you feel about the setup? How do you feel about the all-Canadian division? You're playing the same teams over and over again here in Canada. You're not seeing any of the Central Division foes anymore or, or any team out East. It's just there's six teams you're going up against time and time again. I think you're kind of getting a sense of where I'm at with this, right? I got to be honest. You know what it's like to me? This NHL regular season setup is like a family-sized bag of chips. It is a great idea at first. You crush the first 10 or so. Life is good. There's a little bit of pizzazz, like, right? Like every everything's tasting good. The flavors are there. There's nothing to worry about. But then you get deeper and deeper into the bag, and then your mouth starts to dry up. You feel all dry, and you're thirsty, and you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have any more chips, but you keep having them, and then you feel sick, and you wish you would have had a different snack on top of it. And then you can't sleep at night because you're all parched up and dry from dummying 10,000 calories of Miss Vicky's. We've all been there, right? But that's kind of where I'm at with this regular season. I have got major, major fatigue. And on top of it, I, I almost forget that there's another league, right? Like you forget that there's, what is it, like 20 other teams, 23 other teams that are taking part in all this. I had a buddy text me, my man Ross. It's like, have you seen Andre Vasilevsky's numbers this season? They're ridiculous. I mean, kind of. <laughs> I, I, I try to watch as much hockey as I can. But there's a bunch of stuff that's gone on that I'm just not all that familiar and in tune with because everything's been focused. You know, as a Winnipeg Jet fan, all you guys, you're focused on the six teams you go up against every single night because that's all that matters in the playoff push. So while it was fun at first and maybe the playoffs, may, I mean, maybe the conversation changes then when we get a potential battle of Alberta or we get Jets Oilers just like the... The old Smythe Division days, Jet Sleeves as well. Maybe it's a different conversation then. But I think, you know, as a whole, it's not great for the NHL to have a split between two countries. Because when ESPN gets the rights going into next season and they start covering everything full time, I can guarantee you they are going to spend less than one second talking about anything that goes on in the Canadian division. Even with Austin Matthews, even with Connor McDavid, even with all the firepower there. They're just not going to care. And I know there's a bunch of Canadians up here that have, have kind of pushed aside what's going on down south. They're all focused on what's going on in the Canadian division. I don't think that's a healthy mix for the league. So I am officially on board with, you know, kind of like the blip in, in the Avengers and the MCU. 
Let's just get everything back to normal. Let's pretend like nothing happened. And, and maybe there's a little bit of realignment here or there. But we get back to how things were before. You make sure, and to me this is really important, you play every single team home and away at least once each season. I, I love having the the different matchups. And, and on top of that, it also makes some of the existing ones a little more excited as well, right? Like Jets Lease, for example, I think holds a little bit more pizzazz if you only get it a couple times a season. But when it's match 8 and 9 and 10, it does get a little bit repetitive and a touch boring as well. And that's not even taking into account Jets Senators, <laughs> right? Like when you're playing Ottawa, outside of getting two points almost every night, you know, as far as watchability goes, it's not great. And I just, you know, looking at some of the divisions elsewhere, I can't watch Coyotes-Ducks anymore. And I don't think anybody on this planet can watch a Coyotes-Ducks game anymore or Coyotes-King. You know what I mean? Like you get some of these juicy matchups are great, but there's a lot of really crappy ones that'll happen night in, night out, the way things are set up. So, yeah, like I said, please let's go back to the way things were before. And I think we'll get a little bit more excitement throughout the entire season and the NHL is better for it. Anyways, that wraps up another episode back on Friday, breaking down another ungodly late game, 9.30. Why? Why would you have a game at 9.30? It's the Canucks again on Wednesday night. That's the last one before a huge series coming up against the Calgary Flames. Three straight, and, and the potential, really, if the Jets win that series, to put a bow on the Flames catching them, it very well may lock the Winnipeg Jets into near certainty for a postseason spot. So a big series. We'll do a little preview of that one as well. Plus, super excited for this one. Food interview coming your way. In my opinion, this fine establishment has one of the best lunches in the city. If you're a lunch guy or gal, this is the one for you. Ujiro on Grant Avenue. Ramen, sushi, it doesn't get much better than that. We'll speak with a fine crew down there and get the lowdown on some of the secrets to ramen and sushi. But until then, we're back Friday. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Let's get a nap in. Peace.